So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. This episode contains discussion around the theme of losing a child to sepsis. If you think you might find it difficult to listen to, then please choose another episode. and welcome to a brand new episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guests are two actors. They are parents to Bessie, Maud and Gilbert. Now, if your family is anything like mine, you will have watched the nativity films in the lead up to Christmas over and over and over again. You probably watched them in July. I know our lot do. It's a nice little bit of joy uh, to, to see us through the year. And at the end of Nativity 2, you will see a dedication that says, in memory of the brightest star in the sky, Maud Watkins. And if you're anything like me, you will Google that name and you will see the story of Maud and how she passed away at two years old from sepsis. Uh, and then that will lead you to her parents and see the work that they do in sharing her story and, and helping other, see, other people uh, raise awareness of sepsis so that other people aren't in the same position as they are. They have now filmed a documentary, which I have to say is the most hard-hitting documentary I think I have ever watched. I don't think I've ever let out sounds. The sounds that I let out watching this documentary, I don't think I've ever heard myself make. Um, it is out at the end of this month, so it airs on the 30th of March. It's called Jason and Clara in Memory of Maud. And I am so honoured to have Jason Watkins and Clara Francis on as today's guests. Hello. 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 I mean, how was it filming... The documentary, because obviously I don't know how long it took to film and, you know, how you were eased into that. But it's so like, was there endless hours of filming? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) There there were. um, And it was difficult as much to set up as it was to make. I mean, we'll tell you a little bit about what it was to make and some of the things we we did and people we spoke to um, and things we put ourselves through. But... um, it was difficult to set it all up because I think early on it, it, it was... What happened was that uh, Andrea Byrne, who's a newsreader at ITN in Wales, she lost her father to sepsis and she sort of reached out to me maybe two years ago, 18 months ago, and said, have you ever mm. thought about making a documentary? And I think we both had done, but it just seemed too complicated, too difficult. And some of the documentaries we were seeing, I suppose ours sits a little bit in between some of those. It, it's not a kind of... Uh, light documentary, obviously, and then it's not a sort of political documentary. Like, mm-hmm. so it, it sits somewhere in the middle, and is probably more emotional anyway. But I mean, the difficult bit was at one point, and this, I mean, it's unfair to sort of 
name anybody or so, but we had a sort of a, a director who was going to direct it. And we felt, and she was fantastic, really brilliant, and has made brilliant documentaries. Mm -hmm. And, but really what was happening was that it was a lot to do with sepsis. We talk about sepsis and about, and I suppose I had sort of run with it. And I think Clara was becoming more uncomfortable. I, I was... She was getting less enthusiastic in a way about me doing it. And I think I was thinking something's wrong. He has been really wrong. So we had a conversation about it. And of course, it's our story. Yeah. We're not the subject of a documentary. It is our story. And from then on, we told it ourselves. Mm. And, we, we, you know, the producer sort of, we just said, and it was one of, actually one of those days where, you know, sometimes when you think, I really shouldn't say this because it's just going to, oh, it's going to upset everybody and people are going to get annoyed and, you know, I'm going to, oh, when you actually say something that you really feel and they go, God, of course, of course, mm. that's what you should yeah. do. I mean, go, that, that we, yeah, I, I was very like, I can't, I, I because we, we were going to start filming it. I think sort of two in like two weeks and I just, and I was like, I can't, I can't do it. I could just, I can't, it's not right. It just doesn't feel right. And I think not a not a particularly sort of confrontational person i don't like making a scene I, I i but it was kind of i've never felt so strongly about something and i think if it was a, about anything else i probably yeah. would have gone okay fine yeah let's just do it let's let's do it um but it was like not not this not this it's not right it's not it's it, 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 it i'm i'm happy to do a documentary but it just didn't feel right in in the way we were about to do it so uh, yeah. we changed it yeah and i think they itv were fantastic and the team there and they kind of just thought okay and they really wanted us to tell our story anyway didn't they? i mean they wanted and they knew i think they wanted you to tell your story initially initially they did but that was about sepsis wasn't it yeah it was about and that's if there's if there's a slight difference, I've done a lot of campaigning about the awareness of sepsis and better clinical care and all those sorts of things. Um, and uh, Clara's done more, I would say, you know, uh, with Chubb Reading in the UK and Bereavement Within Families and Slow Group and has trained as a, you know, someone able to, con to conduct meetings and all those sorts of things, and which I'm just a part of, but there is a slight delineation. And I think we jumped into it to do with sepsis because I'm still, you know, there's still so much work to be done. But yeah. I think as soon as we shifted into the whole thing and telling our story and putting Maud at the centre of it and our family at the centre of it, it was better and I think it's much more powerful. And more uh, it and, just has and so much... Make. Yeah, because yeah, you can feel literally your heart's being poured into it. And I think that is why it's so hard-hitting and so powerful. And, and you're right, I think if you'd have gone down the other route, it still would have been... You know, it still would you would have felt it, but it's very different having two parents sit down, and a lot of it is you two literally sitting down and talking, which you know, and I think which we being never British, usually do. It's that, amazing. That's the thing, isn't it? So I think you know, there's so many things that happen to you in life that you don't sit down and go. So how do we feel about this? Let's let's go back and revisit these bits. So what was that like for for both of you to do that? Well, you're, what you're talking about, of course, is, is we sort of had no, kind of but we sort of like, we yeah. I think we had never had any sort of therapy together. We had, you know, individually, we've seen bereavement counsellors, and we've you know done all sorts of stuff, you know, to help 
will they help? What can you do? Um, But we'd never actually done it together. So when we went to see Julia Samuels for the documentary, it was the first time we've ever really sat down together and uh, gone through in, in such sort of forensic detail the circumstances leading up to her death and the day that she died. Because why would we ever in our la- in our day-to-day lives go, Jay, come on, let's let's sit down and have a little have a little chat about the worst, the worst, you know, four days of our lives. Yeah. You 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 know, sort of human nature sort of goes, let's just let's just not go there. But the documentary put us in a position which I think was good because we'd never done it before, where we were confronted with this. And what we realised was that we had totally different recollections of of what happened that day. Because I think in the documentary, there's only maybe five, ten minutes of the bit with Julia, but that session was actually about three hours long. Really? Yeah, it was... It was... It was so intense. It was so. It was. Yeah. It was yeah. really hard. And 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 it's it's funny, isn't it? Because you to get through afterwards, and even around the time and afterwards and go, going onwards, you because it's so traumatic and so difficult. What happens, I think, a little bit is that you construct in your mind what happened, and it's not always. Th- true or accurate is a better word it's not always accurate because it's so painful and so strange that you pick up bits of it and then that becomes the narrative okay now this is what happened i remember that's a blah 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 and then when you when you run through it together and clara says no 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 i was i was there i was i had no idea that she was there and and then i thought i kind of had a half feeling when she went oh yeah god bang about so it's funny how the narrative can can alter slightly, and I think that's due due to the trauma of, of mm-hmm. it all, and and a way of coping. You know, okay, this is what happened, you know, and I can cope now. You know, um, and it's uh, it it's very difficult, but it it was it was transformative in a way that we were able to. Well, it brings you closer, I think. You know, and we this is what happens with therapy. You know, we often go off in our own little grieving sphere, don't we? And then we come back, and if we do go to slow, for example, we will go together, or we, or, or we, you know, the thing with Julia and, and, and other occasions, you know, anniversaries, etc. And we're together. It does bring us together, and it helps us. Mm. Um, and do you think you'd have done a, a session like that if it weren't for the documentary? No, no. we probably wouldn't. No way. Quite it's too. To do more. It's too. Are you? Yeah. I'm not. I... It's. It's. Um... <laughs> It's so painful, you know, and there's a part of me that there's a part of me that thinks there's probably a lot of um, un what's the word unresolved. unresolved memories, issues, and and it probably you know I know people that do ED, EMDR EMDR is that what it's called you know when uh, is that the tapping? It's, it's blinking. It's the eye. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's really brilliant for PTSD. I think there's, I probably could do with some, but then I just think, I'm okay. 
I'll just keep going. Well, because you know, I imagine if you're going going into a therapy session that you have to put yourself back there, and and I, and I imagine that that's you, you've got to feel like you're in a place where you can do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's it's the one place in the world you don't want to go to. And yeah. I know people who've done EMDR, EDMR, whatever. Oh, it sounds like a drug that. now. <laughs> and uh, what they've had to do is go back to the trauma, go back to the trauma and relive the trauma like, like second by second by second. And I mean, it's brilliant because, of course, what, it, what PTSD is, I believe, is when you have unresolved trauma and the neural pathways... Uh, there's nowhere for them to go. So what? So mm. what this therapy does is it it re you, the story in your head. The memories are, become more linear, and you pop them somewhere in your brain where they can stay, rather than these sort of things that pop into your brain that they've never gone anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you know it's. I thought before we did the documentary, I was kind of in a better place than I was, but what I realised was. There's a lot of stuff still going on. There's a lot of trauma still going on f- from that period of time. But we've lived 11 years as it is, and I think we're kind of okay. I don't quite think I'm ready yet. Ready yet. Maybe one day. Do you think that's also that that says a lot about how we feel about grief and 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 loss and how in in a way in society we kind of. I think there's a temptation to kind of pop it in a little box and she's grieving. And then all of a sudden she's not grieving. Like what, you know, grief is an ongoing thing. We never step away from it fully. It becomes a part of us, but not all of us. I totally think that. But I think there's a difference between grief, which is, you know, when, when you've lost somebody you love so deeply which is something you you're going to carry for life. You're not going to get. It's never. You're never going to be over it. And trauma, because I mm. think what I realised was there's quite a lot of trauma still. The grief I've already accepted. It's it's a part of our lives now. It's a part of who I am. It's it completely changed me and probably you as a yeah. person. You are completely sort of. You have to. reconstruct yourself because I think I felt so broken and everything I thought life was about it it kind of the you rebuild yourself yeah I mean I mean uh, and you rebuild yourself different and you carry the grief is now in a part of you yeah yeah that's really interesting about what you're saying about that little analogy you, you said about putting it in a box people put it in a box so they put you in a box and they're, they're grieving and then <clears throat> there's a bit of time gone by and you open the box and oh they're all right they're all right again and <clears throat> that's you know that's sort of disastrous individually and also collectively isn't it because yeah. <clears throat> you know that that's a very convenient way of obfuscating you know the the necessary things that you could be doing individually and collectively and i suppose you know, if one little hope in the documentary was to have a bit more of a uh, a conversation or just people thinking about maybe talking to their friends, talking about the programme, about, about grief in general and, and how we are so terrified of it. You know, we go to a funeral and often it's a very warm occasion because you're really thinking about that person and everybody mm. bonds and, you know, and it's always t- sad. And you do feel sort of... 
uh, alive, if I, I should complete the wrong word, but you know, you feel as though you're connecting a bit and in the spirit of this person in death. And then you go home and then that's it, it's gone. So, and, and then if you hear about somebody else who's lost somebody, um, you don't carry that feeling of the funeral with you and offer help necessarily. Some people do, and yeah. it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but things like that. And of course, when it comes to the loss of a child, it's even more magnified. It's even more difficult to broach, I suppose, for people. Certainly more difficult to deal with as a parent because there are so many more ingredients. Guilt, you know, uh, rightly or wrongly, usually wrongly, um, that you could have done more. All those sorts of things are, if you really get your head around that, that's a very terrifying thing. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a much more complex and difficult grieving. I, I'm not lessening anyone else's grief. I'm just saying it's very different. But you know, just as a sort of, as a group of, a large group of people, as we are <laughs> in the UK, you know, I think we've got a bit of a way to go in helping each other with mm. bereavement. So, you know, the documentary is not deliberately set out to do that, but I, I hope that it, you know, it does maybe prods a little bit. But, I think uh, it does. But yeah, it, but you do change as a person. You do have to, you do, I think, you, you know, you cut to the quick a bit. I think, I think that's quite good. And I think you become less absorbed. I mean, I would say recently I have done, but I wouldn't say that was always the case, but you separate the wheat from the chaff a bit and work out what's important and what isn't. Mm-hmm. And I think I feel I've had my confidence come back in the last sort of few years, and I feel able to make those decisions and enjoy my life, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you have to. You think, God, I'm not going to get. What's that? That's just not important. You know, after what we've been through, that's just not important. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm going to go right the way back, if that's okay with you two, uh, to your childhoods and uh, and your and growing up and what your childhoods were like, and and then meeting each other and whether you instantly knew that you wanted kids together. Maybe not instantly. All right, I'll give you that. <laughs> where, where, what, when you say childhood, what do you, what would you like to know? Where, where did you grow up? What oh, was it like? Uh, so I grew up in London. Um, and uh, my family, oh God, I don't know what I can say and what I can't say. <laughs> very complex. Very complex. <laughs> okay. Not really. No, my parents divorced when I was four. Um, my mother uh, met somebody else who she's still with when I was, I think actually she probably met when I was about five. So essentially he's brought me up, Dennis. Yeah. Um, I, oh God, I, I mean... You loved Hendon? We grew up at, so right near Brent Cross Shopping Centre. That was your nice. It sort of, I spent my entire life there. I, I mean, when I say right next door, I mean a two-minute walk away. So I'd come wow. home from school and just go to Brent Cross Shopping Centre, mooch around, did no, did very little at school, didn't really work, quite, quite... Um, but clever, though. Well, sort of winged it. Winged it. Only ever wanted to be an actress, so didn't really give a shit about anything else. 
um, you know, oh, but but you need to have a backup job. No, 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 I, I don't know. Not me. I'm going to be fine. It's amazing, though, how the backup job thing, you know, if, if, you, if you think about a backup job, then you don't want the original thing enough. Yeah. So, you know. I mean, the irony is I'm now the queen of the backup job because I've had so many other jobs apart from acting. But, you know, I was like, no, this is, I'm going to, uh, uh, no, not me. I'm so, um, oh, I'm not, I mean, I've not moved really away from a three mile radius of where I was. I didn't, I didn't go to university. I went to drama school in Swiss Cottage. I went to Central. So that's literally down the road from where I grew up. <laughs> and, and then I now live in Kentish Town, which is about a mile away from Swiss Cottage. So, yeah. I mean, I would not say I'm an international traveller. I'm <laughs> very much a sort of North London, North London girl. Um, and, and did you always think you would have a family? Yeah, I think I did. I mean, I didn't kind of, I wasn't one of those people that was like, I long to be a mother. I, mm. It's my life's dream. But I very much always was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have children and I, I want to be a mother. But, it, you know, I'm, it's going to, you know, sort of be a, a part of my life. The children are going to be a part of my, my life. Yeah. Um, but uh, I met Jason. I mean, I don't know. Actually, let's talk about Jason's childhood. Okay. Go on then, before Jason. Before we talk about childhood. how we met. Um, <clears throat> I actually went <clears throat> back to um, the village I was born in, in uh, just outside Wolverhampton, Albrighton, um, <clears throat> the other day because I was... Uh, Filming in uh, the Midlands, and <clears throat> I, I said to uh, said to the you know, can I drop in and have a look at my village, which I did, and I had a look at my tiny little house, um, and uh, so yeah, there was lower middle class sort of uh, uh, little modern part of a village that we lived in that was a satellite town to Wolverhampton. My dad had a job there. My mum was ran the nursery, and then became a teacher, a primary school teacher. Dad travelled the world a bit. I've got a brother. Richard, and uh, then my dad got a job in London, so we moved to Hounslow, Isleworth, mm -hmm. in West London. My dad worked at an office in Hammersmith, and my mum became a teacher in Ricelip and stuff. Um, and uh, I played lots of football, I was sport mad, and um, I dyslexic, so I kind of had struggled at school. They thought I was quite bright, but kind of just thought I was completely lazy, which is in part true. But I found sort of reading and stuff impossible. I don't think I ever read a book until I went to drama school, really, because um, it just it was so difficult. Um, and then, but yeah, I uh, did lots of sport and then thought about becoming an actor. Did the school plays, and uh, I wanted to be a set designer at one point, uh, but I didn't get O level English or maths, and that limited me. I wanted to be a PE teacher, again, didn't happen. Uh, so that all that was left. <laughs> I love it. It was just the only thing I could do. <laughs> so I... I mean, Eric Sykes, a great comedian and writer, once said, you don't underestimate what you're good at. And um, sometimes you don't think what you're good You think, oh, I just do messing about a bit. But obviously I was quite useful at it. Unlike the football, I was a semi-pro football briefly. Oh God! And uh, I thought, I, I thought, I thought. Oh, he hasn't mentioned the semi-pro football thing. He's forgotten. And uh, yeah. But no, there it is. I got spotted by Wrexham when Mark, Mark Hughes, the footballer, we were the same age, and we played in a game. Hounslow Borough football team, Hounslow Borough squad went down and played in Wrexham area, 
Um, we played against, I played, you know, we played against Mark Hughes, and I got spotted there, and they asked me to come and train with them for a couple of couple of summers. Uh, and I just saw all that team for the first time in forty years about three weeks ago. Ah. In Isleworth, which was really great. So yeah, and then so I went to drama school. That was it. Yeah, got into RADA. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not a bad place to go. Uh, all right. Yeah, not bad. Oh. Better than Central. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> I went to Rose Bruford, guys. Oh, <laughs> oh, an, oh an academic. A Rosie Bruce. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, Jason, did you ever think about becoming a dad? And uh, was that something that you saw as part of your future? Well, I, I mean, my parents divorced as well. So, I mean, like, when I was 14, which is, a, you know, a difficult, challenging time. It's always oh, difficult anyway. But, um, um, and uh, so... I did, yeah. I saw myself having one, having kids and a family, I suppose. It took me quite a long time to become emotionally mature enough to do that. Um, <laughs> some people might say, am I actually there now? But, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I always, I love the family, yeah. I love kids. Clara, I just saw your face look up. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm confused because you had, you actually had Freddie and Pitt when you were 30. So Jason has two kids yes. from his previous marriage with Caroline. Yeah. So actually, you were quite a young dad. I mean, by today's yeah, standards, that's very true. You know, yeah. you were you were already thirty when Freddie was born. As I say, was, was I emotionally immature enough? Ask, ask Caroline. Yeah, I'll put Caroline through. God. So when you two met, when did children become a thing? Of when did that become a, a topic? Well, we actually met when I was seventeen. Oh, um, yeah. Jason's face is now screwed up. he's like, please don't tell the story, please. <laughs> Go 18. on then, tell us. All right, OK, I was 18. I, I was 17 or 18. What difference does it make? The law? <laughs> no, the law's 16. Oh, oh that's right. Um, I was doing my A-levels and I had a job at the Young Vic. I was a dresser and uh, worked in the wardrobe department and I was Jason's dresser and we... Oh, it's all, so, it's all so messy, but it was a long time ago. And yeah. I was, and we kind of saw each other on and off for about three years, and I was besotted with him, like properly besotted. So much so that I pretty much stalked him. I, you know, I he lived in Islington. I got a flat overlooking Angel no, Tube didn't. Station. No, oh, you yeah. didn't. Yeah, and uh, I would stand at the window, at my window. And I mean, it was the shittest flat you've ever seen. And I'd stand <laughs> at the window and I'd go, oh my God, I can see. And I would see him going up towards Chapel Market and I'd run out and, and sort of turn up at Marks and Spencer's and go, oh my God, hi! <laughs> Jason, hi. did you know any of this at the time? Did you, well, you we know, did you think, oh, I keep... seeing each other, but not... Right. And then he wouldn't ring me. He wasn't particularly nice to me. Didn't know what I was doing. He didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> and a mate would say, isn't that... Isn't isn't that that girl? Isn't that that nutty girl? Again, again. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, I did some terrible things. You know, not. I'm not yeah. proud of. And then he dumped me. Uh, you did. Well, I had to make a decision, didn't <laughs> he I? He had to make a decision between me and, and Caroline, who then became his wife. Right. Um, but can I just say at this point, Caroline and I, it's all completely fine now and we're really, really good friends. We love each other dearly. Uh, so it's all, everything's worked out fine. And then Jason, I went off to drama school and Jason went off and 
got married to Caroline and had a sort of and had had the boys, had Freddie and Pitt. And then that marriage ended and Jason and I got back together after. I'd like to say after the marriage ended. I had nothing to do with the end of that marriage. Jason and I sort of we'd always kind of stayed in touch yeah. as friends. We had a bit of a yeah, a little light burning somewhere. A little light burning somewhere. And then, so, so when romantic. I was 30, so it was about 10 years we were apart, yeah. we got back together again. Yeah. That, that, I mean... Yeah, so that's So you've, you've known each other such a large chunk of your life as well. Yeah, we've known, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, I mean, it's... 40... Hold on, 30, I can't 37, do math. 37 years, yeah. something like Isn't that. Isn't that crazy? And also with Caroline, you know, you, you, you see so many... Like I feel like families nowadays. My my, my mum and dad aren't together, but my mum and my stepmum have such a lovely yeah. relationship. And I think you know it is possible. I it think is. it's so important. important for people it to see important. that. And there's lots of examples, you know, of it not happening where you know. And I have to take my hat off to you know to Clara and particularly Caroline for I suppose in you know just going okay right you know I he, think he's Caroline... a he, he's a dick. Oh no, she never thought that. I mean, she just thought. I think she was very hurt at the time and, you know, and, and, and obviously and, and, and really very, very difficult. But I think she was... And I think we were both... We both... I think I can say we both... We both would put the kids... Definitely. ...first. Yeah. Trying to... Even though it had happened and try And I certainly... And Caroline understood and was very quick to make it all good... Yeah, yeah. ...between yeah. us and mm. therefore it, we were able to for the kids to just know that they were loved and that it wasn't to do with them and all those sorts of things, which is so important. And also, you know, when Maud died, um, that's really when Caroline and I properly bonded because, of course, Freddie and Pip lost their sister. Mm -hmm. And we are a family, you know, we because we've... Uh, they live in Manchester, um, but... They came down, they, Caroline rented a flat sort of down the road from us. She was in and out of our house, you know, in it, you know, it, she was a support because, because we are a family. Yeah. A funny one, but you know, it, you know, it's unconventional, but it was really, it, it was, it was so incredibly brilliant that she did that. And I haven't forgotten it. Um, mm. And they were around, and the boys were around, and it was important that they were there because it, you know, because they lived in Manchester, they could have felt sort of not a not a part of it. Um, and I think that's really where when we properly came together. Yeah, I think yeah. And we've been on. Well, it's holiday like you together. were saying earlier, though, about the noise. You know, trauma and grief like that. It, it takes away the the. The silly noise, and actually, it makes you see what matters. Yeah, and I actually, think so. at the core of it, you are—you're a family that have to pull together in that moment. And it's important to look beyond beyond the noise, and to, yeah. if you can, find the, 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 the real meat of it. And I suppose, actually, I would say that I could probably work a bit harder at including the boys a bit more. I would say, in, if I—if there's one thing that I would think about, not that mm. I beat myself up about it. But I think, yeah, I need to talk to them more about how they're feeling about more as we go through each year. Well, actually, mm. yesterday, both of the boys sent me Mother's Day, which they've never done before. And I thought, oh, God, that's so lovely. 
it's but again that's the dialogue as well isn't it i mean that's the language around Mother's Day is changing so much. You know, it's not just the person that's your biological mother. It's it's the people that have that maternal input and, and in your life. You know, I've got friends who aren't mothers who should be celebrated because of what they give us within our group. Um, and I think that's... And, and I wonder also if doing the documentary and, and you two talking about more even more and about your family because they are included in, in the discussions that you have around your family so is caroline um you know you it's really emphasizing that family unit mm. yeah yeah uh i know we we um we don't live near each other do we but we do yeah i mean i go i've stayed up there when i've gone up there and we always see each other we always have a meal together and we always yeah. mix and we you know we contact each other um, and, you know, me and Caroline talk to each other about, you know, the kids and the boys and what they, their needs are and stuff. You know, they're sort of young men now, mid-twenties. So, I mean, I can't imagine what that was like without having that conversation. Mm, I mean, yeah. God, how difficult life is. Mm. I mean, my parents didn't talk to each other. My no, father, mine didn't either. It's just my, my, my father passed away, you know, in, in June and... They never, never, God, it was never got on with each other after they split up and the really harsh words said between them. And I know that it didn't, it certainly didn't help my brother. And, uh, it, you know, I don't think it helped me. And I suppose, you know, if people can just be strong enough not to go there, yeah, have some sort of contact, you know, and try and, as Caroline did, invert her feelings of, you know, hurt and rejection and send them outwards and not, you know, not cut people off. It's so easily mm. said, I know, but it, it would be so much, it's so much better for the children, mm. you know? Yeah. Let's talk about uh, your pregnancy with Maud. I know you've got Bessie and I know you've got Gilbert, um, but seeing as we're celebrating Maud, um, what was your pregnancy like with Maud? Uh, well, I remember it just because I had the girls very close together. So Bessie was only eight months when I got pregnant with Maud. Oh my gosh! Is that right? There was 16 was that... months between them. Again, I'm not very good at maths. It's something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, but that was sort of a choice because I was like, oh my God, this is really hard. When I had Bessie, I was like, this, this, is, this is impossibly hard. I... I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna get it over and done with. I'm gonna mm -hmm. get my head down, have my children, just <laughs> say goodbye to everyone for a couple of years and then re-emerge, you know, <laughs> a few years later when the sleepless nights and all that bit's over. So it was kind of a choice. You know, I do, I mean, I remember with the first, with being pregnant with Bessie, everyone was like being really, don't pick that box up. <laughs> don't, don't do this, don't that. And then you're pregnant with your second child, nobody gives a shit. <laughs> and you're like, you've got, a, you're carrying your baby there. You, we moved how, you know, you're moving house, you're lugging there. There was a, just a sort of sense of, you're not special anymore. You've had your one special <laughs> pregnancy. Um, uh, I remember we were just, it was, I do just remember sort of thinking, oh my God, have I made a terrible mistake? Um, but then um, when I went into labour with her, because I'd had such a very long, long sort of three day epic first labour with Bessie. Yeah. I just was, I just expected that it was going to be another epic you know, and, and our mid, we had the same midwife for both, for the girls. And she was like, you can do this at home. You're perfectly capable of doing this at home. 
Um, but, you know, just, just ring me when your contractions are this, that and the other close together. And Jason was saying, I think we should ring Mary. And I was like, don't ring Mary because I reckon this is no, because we, she's going to be really angry with me if we call her too early and then she's going to sit here twiddling her thumbs. So don't ring her. And he kept saying, ring her, ring her, ring her. And by the time she got to us, I think Maud was born about five minutes later. Wow. Yeah, it was it was because she came really easily, really quickly. I'm not going to say painlessly because it was very painful. It was very quick and it was very intense. But I do remember when she was born, you know, the, you'd sign all the paperwork and then the, the midwives had, had gone within about an hour of her being born. And we put her in the Moses basket next to the bed and we all went to sleep. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. This is amazing. Well, when you compare it to your first as well, which wouldn't have been that. I mean, it wasn't that at all. I was, so, you know, it was, I was a little broken after the first one. Um, it was like, oh, this is incredible. And then the next morning we, I don't even remember her waking up in the night. I mean, isn't that mental? Yeah, no, it was, yeah. I don't Slept even remember. through the night. I, I, oh, we did. Got another one. Isn't that funny? And then... <laughs> It was just, she just very much slotted into our lives. And she, she really did. She was very, she, you know, she was a very happy, easy baby. And Bessie hadn't been that. She'd been, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. She was my first child and I was, I think, you know, a lot of women feel overwhelmed when they have their first child and they're like, I, 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 I don't, but you know, once you, once you have your second, third, you're like, okay, I, I know what I'm doing now. With Bessie, I didn't. And, and I never felt I could make her happy. She, she I couldn't soothe her. I never had enough milk. I, you know, it just, but it wasn't like that with Maud. It felt much. Do you think part of that was also because you had Bessie to run around after? You know, at 16 yeah. months, she would have been, you know, running around and doing all sorts and in everything. Yeah, well, so there's I mean, that I shift, isn't it? To remember, she wasn't, Bessie wasn't potty trained. So I was changing. I was like, yeah. I, I remember just sort of, I remember just sort of being covered in shit and sick and piss for about six months. It's when you find a stain and you're like, I've got no idea what, what, what that stain that? is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just I just remember being sort of covered in muck for a long time and being incredibly tired and living on... I remember getting up in the morning and just downing... I'm not going to say vodka. I'm actually going to say downing a box of Smarties. <laughs> I Smarties. I was like, I can't even... The thought of cooking for myself or doing anything for myself and you were working away... Like, Jason, you know, has spent a lot of our marriage and, and you know, the, while the kids have been young, you've worked away a lot. So I was sort of, you know, doing a lot of this alone. But I would just remember just thinking, I don't care. I'm just going to eat chocolate all day. And uh, just I, because it was just so full on with the girls. So unbelievably full on. Um, I mean... Yeah, yeah I'm just loving the smarties. Well. And I had a, you know, I worked as well. So it was just, I mean, you know, you'd have the, I'd be working and I'd have the breast pumps, you know, the, you know, I remember, I do remember feeling very much like a cow. Well, and tied, you know, because they would have both been so young and needed everything mm, from you. Mm. There's that real, you are the anchor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A tethered cow. A tethered cow is what I was. In the corner of the field. 
Oh, <laughs> can that. you? It wasn't. It wasn't that. I mean, it, you know, at the time, of course, you know, the irony of it all is, I look back on that time now with sort of rose-tinted glasses and go, oh my god, I wish I'd. You know, because I remember just going, oh, just let this bit be over, let this bit be over. This is so hard. It's so hard. I'm so exhausted. You know, I would I would run from room to room uh, at night. I'd feed, I'd feed more, then I'd run into Bessie's room. I remember milk, like, spurting out of my boob. <laughs> I mean, I remember... They're that. magical, those boobs, though, when they're squirting. Uh, they no was, one really... They, it would, you know, but I'd be running from room to room. And, and, it, and, I, and I hated it at the time. And I was so sad and tired and felt so wretched and of course now I'm like why didn't I just seize those precious moments I don't think people do though do you know what I mean I, I think, think right. there's a reason why everyone goes oh enjoy them now yeah. In, yeah you know there's a reason for that I think it's such a big life change a gear change when you've got a newborn in the house suddenly you aren't able to do things in the way that you normally would nothing you can't literally just be spontaneous and and go and get something done everything is so considered mm. and you know and unpredictable yeah so yeah I think that is something that but I remember feeling like a deep shame after Maud died, a really sense of shame that I had, I had not savoured every single second of it. But of course, I know in my logical mind that that's ridiculous because nobody thinks their child is going to die. Mm. Nobody would ever think that. Nobody thinks as... I mean, I do now. I, I, I would like to say now I, I do and... I, I kind of go, oh, this is really special. This is a special, this is special. My mum's here, my stepfather's here, and my family are here, and everyone's happy and everyone's healthy. It's special. I never thought that before because you don't. Because you're mm. just, you're, you're, you you're, just, you're in going, the moment. And you accept that it's going to keep happening. It's, mm. That'll keep happening and there'll be a magic moment, you know, in a couple of years when there's this party or something, I'll have a moment where I go, oh, God, this, this is fantastic, isn't it? But because you expect they're going to be several, many a lifetime full of them. But of course, the, in our case, there wasn't. And also, you know, and also people get old and pass away. So, you know, there's mm -hmm. that as well uh, coming from the other end. So, uh, yeah, it is important if you can. I mean, there's nothing worse than someone treasuring every single second and telling you about it, isn't there? I mean, it's, <laughs> Yeah. It's really painful, but uh, you know, I envy them in a way if they can. But but if it's real, that's a wonderful gift to have, you know. Mm. Mm. I mean, that's weirdly, I remember the Christmas because Maud died on New Year's Eve. New Year's Day. Sorry, New Year's Day in that night in that between night. New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Um, and I remember the Christmas before, so it would have been like two weeks before. My grandmother was still alive, and we were at my mum's, and it was just after Christmas. And I remember videoing. The girls, I've never seen this video actually because I don't know what happened to all the stuff that was on my phone. That's another story. Um, and I videoed the girls cooking in the kitchen with my grandma. And I remember, I do remember going, I'm going to look back on this one day because, because mama, my grandmother, she's not going to be here anymore. And I really remember feeling that. And then I remember mm. when Maud died thinking, hold on, why you were the one that was supposed to die? Not, mm. not Maud being quite cross about it of course nobody should be dying but you know she was 93 and she was still alive and she even said to me she was like it should have been me and, of course, and, I, and I probably went yes it, it should have been <laughs> you know because you're 93 
Um, anyway, she has since passed and it was yeah. very sad. But, you know, 93-year-olds mm-hmm. die. Well, there's this the sort of like, is it called the natural order, the way yeah. in which yeah. we yeah. Uh, program to think that things are going to happen? Yeah, I mean, and that's... it's painful, of course, when... When, when, when your mother, your grandma, your grandparents say, it's incredibly painful, but it is part of life. We have to accept it. You have to, however painful it is, and it is painful, but your child dying is not a part of life. Mm-hmm. It is not something that is expected. It is not an expected death. So, um, you know... Are you looking for a trusted property insurance partner to help your business grow and stay resilient? FM Global uses science, data, and research to help you make informed decisions. By working together, FM Global can help you grow your company with confidence and deliver the protection and expertise you need to thrive. We're also here to help you navigate the complex world of ESG. We'll work with you to identify and mitigate risks related to natural disasters and offer solutions that contribute to a more sustainable future. Let's prepare to prosper. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Let's talk about that, um, that period of time. Did Maud have a cold? Is that how everything started? Yeah, she had a... She had a cold and a sore throat so I mean she had a she had a sort of husky voice for a while which mm. which was funny which we we, we lo- lo- yeah. enjoyed you know because you know it was it was uh, funny but I mean in a way because we never thought that it was serious and of course at that point it probably wasn't you know um, and it must have gone on for about maybe a week wasn't it and I think mm, about this should have shifted by now so we took her to the GP and um, I was worried that it had gone to her chest, so that was the... That put me know that she, it, you know, you can have a throat infection, but if it starts getting to the lungs, like, mm. so that was my fear. So I, I told her that, and I sort of insisted that I was still worried towards the end of the conversation with her, and she said, oh, go down to the drop-in drop A&E at the local hospital, which I couldn't do, because I had to go to work but you took her yeah I took her to the I so I took her to um A&E in uh, a university college hospital and you know I was like oh she's fine and actually I was like I think Jason's being a bit you know overcautious. you get that guilt thing don't you when you're in A&E and you're like oh god they're gonna be yeah, bouncing yeah, around by the yeah, time we get there they're yeah, gonna be yeah, absolutely yeah, fine yeah 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 so so we went and you know I do remember looking at a kid in a bed with two parents who look really worried and I was thinking god that kid looks really ill thank god Maud is like you know she was playing with the Playmobil thing and and the doctor was like she's you know what she's got croup it's fine give her these steroids he gave us some steroids gave Kate gave gave me something to give so we could give her when we got home and I was like oh thank god because you know 
you know, this could I, this could potentially have been something quite bad. But he was very mm. reassuring. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And then and he said, oh, just be careful. Uh, you know, in 24 hours' time, when the steroids might wear off, and just you know, uh, have an eye out for that, didn't he? I remember him saying, or well, he he'd said that, hadn't he? Do you know what? There's also, there's so much I don't remember. There really is quite a lot I don't remember. So you probably re- re- might yeah. remember better than I do. Uh, but then, yeah. So she went to sleep, didn't she? That night, and then the next. That was then the next, and then it was New Year's Day. So on New, New Year's Eve, Day, no, sorry, New, New Year's, Year's Eve. Eve. Sorry, sorry, God, my New Year's Eve, and then, and then I had a little nap in the after, in the afternoon, didn't I? And then, just like a little schluff, and you said, "Oh, she woke. She she was having she problems. She couldn't breathe. Yeah, she couldn't. She she did. You, you she she couldn't find breath. Yeah, and the the." consultant at the hospital had said the day before if if that happens just stick her in a bath stick her in the bathroom shut the door and put the bath tap on so it steams the steam will help but first of all we never had that much hot water in our old flat well uh, we never we could never make steam in the bathroom yeah no. it took ages and i was thinking this isn't this isn't working this this is this is this is actually and she was really not yeah, and clearly, you know, steam wouldn't have done anything, no, would it? No, I mean, we this were way was... beyond steam in a bathroom at yeah. this point. So she was losing consciousness, wasn't she? And she was pale and floppy, and uh, was and uh, yeah, and and so we then decided not to get order an ambulance. We just got in the car because it was you know near. It was relatively near, um, and trying to make sure she was awake. So I was driving you in the front seat and we're trying to keep her awake by shouting. And It was awful. It was really awful for about 10 minutes, wasn't it? 15 minutes to get to the hospital. So I ran into the hospital, uh, into triage and sort of, you know, this is, look at my child. And they sort of sent me straight in to be treated. And then she's, you know, calmed down. They gave us some uh, antibiotics and, you know, gas and air. And, you know, after an hour, she was sort of calmer. Uh, and temperature would fall and uh, and so yeah so that the consultant the paediatric consultant said you know it might be better to take her home because she's there's more familiar surroundings and she's had a bit of a, a bad time so um, we, you know it didn't feel right at the time this is where the guilt comes in of course um, I mean, when you hear that and you hear how ill she was, you just think, how could they have let her go home? I mean, but that I'm is procedure. Like, how could they have let her go home? But that was the argument. And we're talking a matter of hours from her being unable to breathe to, to, to leaving the hospital. Yeah, and this is, you know... It was a, about, sum- an hour, about two hours, there's, yeah. There's so much that one can go into and it's very difficult, but you know, that was one of the key things that we talk about even now without leaving what we're talking about is that is the narrative it's called the narrative of did the last person who saw her five minutes ago was that person fully aware of how my child was presenting in triage three hours ago if he mm-hmm. had seen her would he be making the decisions he is now if he'd seen that because med- in medical what you tend to do is you it's empirical you so you go you know every hour you look at them and you look at the symptoms and you're you're, you're less willing within medical practice to see the narrative and with sepsis you have to see the narrative mm-hmm. if you see the narrative you act immediately so 
you know, that, that's part of the things that the UK Sepsis Trust is constantly trying to do and instill in various trusts, uh, protocols and practice of medical, for better medical practice. So, yeah, so then, you know, we did, we took her home, didn't we? So yeah. we, we brought, brought her home and then we, we said, you know, put her in the cot and, and, you know, not too hot, not too cold is what he said to me. And then that's what we did. Yeah. And, um, and then, and we were going to go out. It was New Year's Eve, so we were going to mm. go out that night. And we're like, well, we won't, we won't go out. We, obviously, we're going to stay here. So we stayed home. And uh, I put her to bed, and she was giggling. And I remember her giggling. And we had this little thing that we would do whenever I put her to bed. And, and then in the morning, I was texting a friend, we were going to go for a sort of New Year's Day walk on Hampstead Heath, you know, life going on. And then Bessie came in our room because she shared a room with Maud and said, I can't wake up Maud. And I just knew, I, ju I just knew because there was a part of me, my sort of motherly instinct was she is really ill. But because the doctors kept saying, it's okay, she's fine, it's not... A, I was like, oh, okay. Because before something like this happens, you are a sort of innocent, trusting mm. person. And I certainly was. And I was very sort of trusting of, you know, doctors and... I want to say reverential, but, you know, you kind of go, well, if the doctor who has been to medical school is telling me this, then I'm going to believe it. But I think when I look back, I think my, my instinct was, no, this is really serious. And, and I wish that I had been more trusting of my, my instinct, which I am now. You know, I didn't, I think we sort of live in a world where there are all these books about, about parenting books, about breastfeeding books, about sleep health or, but actually mm -hmm. to be in touch with your instinct as a mother, I kind of feel has been forgotten mm -hmm. a little bit or it's not. It's, it's starting to be, you know, it's starting to be. And I mean, this was 11 years ago. Yeah. I actually don't know what it's like now well, the, the, because it, the parenting, it all changes so much. It all changes, yeah. And, so, and it, but, it, you know, it, the, the, the truth is that it, it is, is that there are places where, in, in the documentary, there's a bit where, you know, they have a scenario, they set up a scenario where a, sort of a mechanical, mechanical child is ill that you then, you can program and, you know, uh, display symptoms that then these the trainees or whoever in, involved in the course has to act on it. And there is a parent person there. And a lot of the chat is about make sure you listen to the parent, blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't happen across the whole of the NHS. And yeah. It happens in certain trusts and certain people who have the training. But not all, everyone has the training because they don't have time. And, you know, it's a bit of a mess. Mm. So, you know, if you've got if you've got ambulances queuing up, then, you know, you haven't got money to sort that out. You're less likely to have money to sort out whether... The child has got sepsis or not, because it's you know. So anyway, that's a, but I do story. you know I think uh, I do I I don't know if it's changed because I do know somebody whose daughter died of sepsis two years ago, 
And she was saying to the doctors, I think it's sepsis. And they were like, no, it isn't, no, it isn't. Uh, and her daughter subsequently died. Um, so um, I do, I do, this sort of maternal instinct should not be kind of, what's the word? Brushed well, aside, yeah. dismissed. Yeah, I mean, there is a, yeah. yeah it, and, it, you know, that we, we also, you know, just ask, could it be sepsis, you know? But that's half the story, isn't it? Well, if, if a mother is saying to a, a doctor, I think it is sepsis, could it be sepsis? And they're going, no, it could not. And then it is, what, what can you do? And, and is there a simple test that they can do to see whether it is sepsis? Is there anything in the blood or is there anything like that? You can, you, there are, it, the thing to say is that it's not easy to diagnose. Okay, so that is why it's not like, it's not like meningitis. The child has got a sort of orange cross on their forehead. Or oh, a, a rash, and if you put your cup on it, you know, it isn't like that. But there are, but there are, I mean, there are, well, I mean, there are signs, you know, there are signs, you know, uh, you know which is not being able to pass water for 24 hours is amongst infants, you know, being floppy and uh, cool to the touch, uh, pale skin, stri stride or breathing difficulties, which are more displayed, whether you're really gasping for air. Those, those are symptoms, particularly amongst the infants. So, you know, if you've got one of those, and these are often post-infection, viral or, or bacterial, you know, and the trust is always saying, you know, we can, you know, if, if a child has had a, an infection, they need to be tested for sepsis, whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. So, and yeah, there are, there are tests you can do, but it's, it's, and because what sepsis does is that it, it comes off the back of an infection. So while people are treating the, bronchitis, the pneumonia, the whatever, the f severe flu, they're trying to get rid, you know, sort that out. Underneath, sepsis is starting to work. So if you don't sort of look at both and see the whole scenario of the uh, possible diagnoses of, of a particularly infant, and you're, you're not looking for sepsis, it will bite you because you, you know, and that's what happens so many times. Um, so, and, you know, even two weeks ago, I was talking to uh, this, uh, someone I was introduced, I was introduced to who wanted to talk about the loss of his 22 year old son to sepsis and the consultant, his, his ex-wife is a consultant and he was with her and she saw the rash in the middle of the night when he woke up and said, that sepsis went to the hospital that she herself worked in and said, that sepsis. And they still didn't, still didn't. So it's the thing, isn't it? Because I think if you're, if we're trying to tell people to advocate for their own health and advocate for the health of their children, we've still got to be listened to. Yeah. Because you know, how do you push that further and further to make sure that they do do those tests? Yeah, and, and it's important not to be uh, a, alarmist. We don't want to alarm yeah. lots of parents, but you know, and it, it's easy to be alarmed. But it's always worth asking. You know, yeah. asking. Some doctors. Are not like that and they really do they do listen I think mm. and I you know I've always felt with Maud she she was just unlucky you know another child may have gone to any and, and and they've they've had a, a consultant there who's gone I think this could be sepsis and their child is alive you know I think it's important to say it's you know it, 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 this isn't an in you know some parents are listened to and you know so there is it's just luck i i do believe yeah. it to be luck and i think maud was incredibly unlucky because she didn't get a consultant who went let's just and even if he had 
it may have still been too late. Mm-hmm. Um, but that first day, we on the on the thirtieth um, of Jan of uh, December when we took her, if that had happened, you know, who knows? I mean, that makes it so much more painful to me because this is a death that could have been avoided. We have friends whose children have, you know, who've died of of cancer and everything has been thrown at it and their child has still died. I'm not saying it's any worse for us. It isn't. It's all shit. But to know that your child could potentially be a 14-year-old girl going out and, you know, having a really fabulous life when, you know, it didn't happen for her is particularly difficult. It's the what-ifs, surely. It's it's those that keep... Yeah, yeah. And the, the what could I have done, what could I have done differently in the days which we sort of... We kind of... Which was... We kind of talked about in the in the documentary when we were with Julia, it's like, because you're reliving it, you're going, why didn't I just, why didn't I scream and shout at the hospital and demand that they keep her there and they give her anti, why did, why didn't know, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, you know, hindsight is a really wonderful thing. Um, but it's something that can unnecessarily, you can punish yourself over as well, you know. Which it's, I think any parent would when they're, I yeah, mean. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I have a friend whose um, son died of, of cancer and she punished herself for a long time because she thought, I, I, should have, I should have fed him organic food. You know, it's like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're going to, or I should have. I, I for a long time punished myself about more dying because I didn't breastfeed for long enough. You know that was I because that's what we do as mothers. We we yeah. we we go. It I I failed at the thing I was supposed to be doing. You know I was supposed to be keeping her alive, and I felt it must be my fault. Oh God, maybe if I'd have breastfed her for for longer, she would have had a better immune system. You know, it's that's, because yeah, I mean, I know, of course, in my rational brain, this is this is madness. But of course, mm-hmm. you're going to. It was the first. It was one of the first thoughts in my head on the day she died, because that's what we do as parents. We're like, what, you know? Yeah, you think. What did I? What did I do wrong? You know because we didn't know for a long time that it was sepsis she died. We, yeah. we didn't know why she died. How long did it take for you to realise, to, to, for you to find out that it was sepsis? Well, we had, a, we had an inquest in six months afterwards. So we, right. we, we, were, we were looking at streptococcus, which is a stomachache, basically, and uh, influenza B were the symptoms that were put down on the uh, death certificate. And so... Uh, but there was an inquest because of, because I said, it just doesn't feel right. And I went to the coroner's staff and said, you know, I, I said, we know she was discharged twice within 24 hours. So, I, and he said, all oh, right, okay. So then there was therefore an inquest was instructed, which is supposed to give you a, some, I think they're designed to give parents a bit of context and a bit of uh, reason. It's not who, it's more like, or, or why, it's not why, it's more sort of where and what and who. So, and it's supposed to give you an amount of uh, context to it um, uh, to make it bearable, for, give you a reason so, but it didn't really. 
you know, it, it, it didn't really. And sepsis, I mean, sepsis was mentioned, but it was really only confirmed later on after the inquest, really, because it was blindingly obvious. And, but, you know, the, they, they said, their representative of the trust, who they'd got somebody in to talk about it, said that, you know, they had done what they thought was right at the time and probably the sepsis had, was having effect earlier than that. Those sort of things, which, you know, at the time I was very willing to, to nod and say, yeah, yeah, because I wanted, I wanted some reason. Because, but now I think I, I, um, I have a slightly different view in that I think that a lot more could have been done and more to the point, a lot more can be done now. So yeah. I think you can be angry and frustrated as a parent and also reconciled to possibly ill luck reconciled to their loss, accommodating their loss in your lives and being angry about certain elements to it, those two can coexist and you can be happy. And I think you have to be. You know, many times we've met people who are still blazingly angry about the loss of their child and, and quite, like, quite rightly in some respect, you've got to address your own grief because it'll eat you up and you'll make mm -hmm. you unhappy and less able to help the people around you. And do you think that's part of it? The anger kind of helps with the... It kind of puts a lid on the grief in a way, kind of channels you in this other way to just keep moving with this anger rather than actually facing Absolutely, that yeah. loss. Absolutely, and I think that, that you, you see that you see that quite a lot. And, uh, you know, who's to sort of uh, blame anyone or criticise anyone? But it, it's something to think about. You know, it's one of those, it's funny as I would say, you know, they say sometimes, don't they, that a bit of self-pity is, is not a very useful thing. If you can just try and try and think about ruling that one out, because it doesn't do you any good, feel sad mm. and things like that. But self-pity is a tricky one. And I would say in the context of grief and losing your child, this continual anger at the loss of your child, easy to say if you're recently bereaved, but that's the one you've got to think about. Because, yeah. you know, you've got to find a way of finding some sort of peace. And I think that the two can coexist. And for me, you know, campaigning for better clinical care of sepsis and awareness is a way of channeling those feelings. Uh, and, you know, supporting people who've been recently bereaved, losing their child is another way of dealing with it. And that's not about anger, that's about compassion really and about compassion mm. that we received mm. and, and and learning how I suppose we've learned haven't we that we've learned how to give the compassion that we've received we're tr always trying to be better at giving it to other people and you'll see people getting it wrong as well you know which which fuels how you approach things as well yeah I mean, we talked about we talk about that in the documentary, uh, uh, you know, about the just sort of how unspeakable it is to lose a child for for, for any uh, any parent. They sort of don't even want to think about it. So when when your child dies, you know, people would, you know, people would pretend not to see me uh, rather than engage in a in a conversation with me because they they didn't know what to say. Um, and, you know, we talk about in the documentary how it's, and, and then, and then you, if you do engage in a conversation with somebody, they, they often wouldn't mention the massive thing that's happened for fear of upsetting you. Now, of course, 
you know, it's a ludicrous idea that you would be triggered by somebody mentioning your dead child when all you're thinking about is your dead child. And actually, for me and for most other bereaved parents I know, they love when somebody mentions their child. Um, and it, of course, must be acknowledged. You know, I mean, I had a, another friend who somebody hid behind a van rather than rather than she saw them go walking to she saw them walking to the van but she didn't see them coming the other way <laughs> you know she just did and i don't know if it's a very british thing we do, we grieve in a we, we're very sort of stiff up a little i mean my family are jewish so it's it's slightly different i kind of but a very english way it's a sort of mm -hmm. stiff up a lip just you know just you know get on with it but it's, you know, we wanted to kind of talk about, let's, let's mention this. It's, it is a, it, if you talk about somebody else's dead child, it doesn't mean your child's going to die. I mean, I do think there is a, yeah. if I even bring it into my life, if I even if bring I it into I, my world, if I touch that person, I am going to be tainted by this terrible, terrible thing. You know, you feel, God, I didn't want it to be, I didn't want to be the person whose child had died. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't want to be defined by that. Um, but it is... <sighs> what does it mean to you when people ask you about Maud? Well, well look, I, I would say that... And I'll, I'll answer that, is, is that if somebody... You get the feeling sometimes somebody comes up to you, they may look at you and go, there's that person, they've lost their child. Now, they, they've lost their child. Now, what they want to do is to get back to being normal. So let's not talk about it. Let's talk about something else and encourage them away from how they're feeling and that'll make them feel better uh, because we'll talk about something else. Now, the thing is, you can talk about the football or whatever kind of, because some of that is a way of, you know, connecting. But, you know, it, we're changed. <laughs> we're not, we're not, you can't go back to where you were before. You're a different person. And part of that is acknowledging that you've lost your child and that I understand you've lost your child, you're a different person. So it's, it's like saying, hi, you know, how are you, God? I'm so sorry. You know, is there anything I can do? How, you know, are you having a good day to day? Or mm -hmm. how's your partner? You know, it's like, and if, if even as I'm saying that, I think, God, I might think of saying the right thing, which you may feel you're not but at least mentioning the child, it really does help, you know. And if you're clumsy about it, it doesn't matter. We, no one's going to go home and, you know, sort of... Uh, no one's going to judge you, you know. And, it, and it's important. That is important. Because then it is a conversation. There's an acceptance that there's this person that I used to know, I know really well. They've lost their child. And hang about, I've got to think this person has changed and they're different and they're a different person what you know what can i learn from them how can i help this person not i'm going to get them back to how they used to be because it doesn't work and and i suppose having death in 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 as a thing that is not in a box as you said that is just with us gently kindly with us that you can touch every now and again and refer to without it being some awful big bomb that's going to go off in the conversation or in your mm -hmm. life, you know. But practically, 
Yes, those those things are important that you know one should mention, and it is a relief. Is it's such a nice thing when someone says, like even now I said, you know, if I'm working with someone and they'll say, oh hello, I, I I've been watching your work for a long time. I'm a big fan, and I'm so sorry about your daughter. And it's eleven years ago, and you go, oh god, great, you know, such a nice thing, isn't it? Mm. And in, in the early days. You know, I mean, it's di it's different now. People don't talk about it now, really, because, it, you know, pe pe I mean, day to day. I'm talking about in the fur in the early days, weeks, months. Um, I, I kind of feel it. It, ne it needs to be talked about. Um, and what I would, if somebody didn't mention it or I hadn't seen somebody for a while say six months and she died six months later I'd see somebody they didn't mention it. it's the first time I'd see them I would mention it because really? I, yeah, yeah because yeah. I would I would think they know it's so big they but the, I could see them I could see in their face that they just didn't know how to what to say how to how to start the conversation so i'd sort of think you know what i'm just going to do i'm just going to do them a favor and i'm going to talk about it because and i could and i would see them physically just relax once the the name was said once we'd mentioned the thing um but i but i do remember thinking why is it my responsibility to do this it shouldn't be my responsibility to make sure you're feeling okay about my child dying uh, but you know that's that's where we are, and I think that is because people just do not know how to talk about death, particularly children dying. Yeah. Um, they just don't. It goes back to what Jason was saying. I think with you know people don't want to upset you. Mm, of course, like they're going to bring the sadness. Mm. But I actually, it. it's acknowledge was uh, yeah. acknowledge my life, acknowledge my my child. I'm not I'm not being judgy at all. I totally understand why it is so impossibly hard. And before she died, I don't know if I would have been very good at it. But because I'm on the other side of the door and I have this perspective now I know um see I don't think it's judgy really I, and I think unless people who are in that situation share mm. then people will carry on mm. being mm. you know like stepping away from the conversation mm. I think it takes people sadly that have experienced it to kind of go no this is what we actually should be doing as a society yeah. you know every different community is different cultures around the world approach yeah. death in such a different way yeah we I just do, happen I, to yeah. live but i think it, being british you know as a culture we're so sort of emotionally closed yeah. and i think if you probably if you go to uh, you know a, tr a tribe in the amazon you know there's probably it, it's probably very vocal it's you know the, mm -hmm. there's a sense of community i mean it, you know it, it was very hard having I've talked about this before, but, you know, when she died, you know, you live in London and it's really difficult living in a big city. It's busy. It's people are mean. People are rude. You've got to pay your parking. You've got to do this. You've got there's a lot of stuff that has to be done. And I think, you know, when your child dies, you feel raw, like your skin has been ripped off you and everything hurts, everything. Even somebody kind of looking at you the, the wrong way, it hurts. Um, 
I remember just thinking, I need to be, and people, I need to be wearing black. Uh, I need to be in mourning because then people would be nicer to me. People wouldn't be yelling at me in my car because I was two seconds after the lights turned green, I didn't go straight away and somebody's shouting at me and swearing at me. You know, it's it, it feels like we, I remember thinking, you can't talk to me like that. My child's just died. But of course, nobody knows when you live in a big city. If you mm -hmm. live in a little village, maybe there's more care. But there, I remember thinking, God, there's, it's, it's like, why doesn't everybody know that my child has just died? I mean, I would tell everybody. I'd be in the supermarket. Uh, I'd be at the bus stop. Uh, I would be like, my child just died. You know, you know, because obviously, you know, you'd have your, you'd have your kids. Oh, you know, how many kids have you got? Oh, yeah. What, I mean, obviously, this is a massive question for anyone that's lost a child. How many kids have you got? What do I in that split second? Do you say to the, do you say to that person? Do you, do you tell them, well, I have three, but one of them's dead? Do you, are you going to invest that information and that time with that person? Or do you just say two and then you walk away and for the rest of the day think, I've done my maud a terrible disservice because I haven't, I haven't mentioned her. You know, yeah. it's all so complicated, such a complicated landscape to live in. Um, if you could write a letter on being a mum or being a dad, who would that letter be to and what would you say? Well, I think my letter would be to my children, probably. I think Freddie and Pippin. Well, I, I would say I'd say one. I'd say one thing separate to being a parent, which is something about, uh, you know, never feel that you're not. Never feel afraid to put your opinion across, and you're, you know, you should be feel comfortable in any room you're in with anybody something like that and then as a parent oh it's all it's all about love isn't it and it's about but it's if it's about for me I think it's a bit about time as well I've got boys that were I didn't that weren't living with me and I can't say hand on heart that I'm brilliant at always keeping enough contact but I wish I could do more of that but that's the thing that I keep an eye on keep keep contact with your children you know, in, in, in that way, if, if that's the circumstance, even stupid, mm. sending a reel of something or anything stupid, I think that's really important. Um, but it, it is, all, but essentially, it, it is all about love. I mean, we've got a, our 15 year old is, you know, she's having, it's difficult, isn't it? We can't say it's easy. And I don't know how good parents we're being, but we're, we're trying, aren't we? Even if we, you know, just let things go for a bit. You know, it's still hard. But, yeah, my letter would be to my, my children. And, uh, yeah, whatever the... Because it's so stressful, isn't it? Parenting, but just make sure the love's coming through as well. Yeah. And I probably have to agree, because I think... You know, there's a part of me that worries, you know, with Bessie and... Gilbert, who we had after Maud had died, you know, that I'm, you know, I'm somehow Maud, you know, that maybe they haven't had the childhood that they, they should have had because they had, you know, a mother, parents who were in deep grief 
for for a lot of that time. So I carry a lot of guilt. But then I'm then I sort of I would want to say, do you know what? I did my best, and I it is all about love. And if I ever did anything that you are, you know, it would never have been that you're cross about or because actually I'm a human. And I think, you know, I remember that light bulb moment myself when I realized that my parents were humans. Mm -hmm. They, You know, they're humans and they're going to fuck things up and did. And uh, but you know what? It's okay to mess things up sometimes because that's being human. And nobody has perfect parents. Nobody has a perfect childhood. Um, As much as we would love for our children to have perfect, happy, happy childhoods, you know, I don't know if it's possible. But I think I would want to say, you know, I love you to, you know, every fibre of your being. And I've done my absolute best. And if I've done anything wrong, I'm a human who (laughs) makes mistakes. But I, you know, you know, whatever gets you through, you know, that's my motto. Whatever gets you through, and you know, I, I think we have happy, interesting, funny, quirky children, you know, and uh, that's as much as you can ask for—a happy, interesting, funny child. You know, yeah. I had a unconventional childhood and, you know, things weren't perfect for me, but I think it sort of weirdly makes you what you are. Mm. As long as you are robust enough to say, okay, this shit's happened to me, but I'm going to, I'm going to use it. I'm going to laugh about it. You've Mm -hmm. got to laugh about stuff. I think that's what we have. We are able to laugh about stuff. And I want my children to be able to not take themselves too seriously and laugh at the preposterousness of life and situations that you get yourself into. Uh, and and it's okay to fuck up. It's okay. They need to know that. They don't have yeah. to be perfect. Uh, so we finished the podcast with you completing three sentences. Oh, Christ. I know. It's okay. It's only a sentence. A few words is enough. Okay, so Clara, being a mum means... Just wearing your heart outside your body and never really being able to sleep well at night ever again. <laughs> That's really negative, isn't it? No. It's no. quite negative. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, being a dad means? Uh, getting as much sleep as you like. <laughs> <laughs> making, yeah. making sure the snoring knows very loud. Now I would <laughs> uh, uh, being a father means encouraging your children to be kind to the world and yourself, and always be inquisitive. Something like that, because I think all those things lead to nice, nice things. Okay. Next, next sentence to complete. Since having children, I... Well, since having children, I have become more of a child and at the same time become more of a, a grown-up. I have wisdom and I have idiocy at the same That's time. very good. That's a very That's good, good answer. That's so God. good. How am I going to top that? Well, well I, do you know what? There's so much I want to say, but my mind's kind of gone blank. Well, look, I mean, tell me, uh, tell me, what, 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 what? Since having children, I oh well, uh, you've you've become 
he can answer for me. You, Here we go. You've become a woman. I guess. Because you, you, you were yeah. a girl, you were I was a, a, a girl. Yeah. And you're still, you're still a girl, but you... And by that, I mean... I mean a woman. I mean, I don't want to just say an adult, because it is about being a woman in this context. Uh, and about, yeah, being a capable per You become more of a capable person. The, you know, your parent, your, your, your kids, they push you to things that you'd never done, think you'd do before. And then when you're there, you forget that you're there and you're doing amazing things and you take it all for granted. When actually you become superhuman, you know, you have. Thank you, Gay. Since becoming a parent, I have become a superhuman. <laughs> there you I think go. all mums are. I, all mums are. Well, I mean, I don't feel like that, but... Um... Does anyone... Really, I think the minute you think, I've, I think I've, I've got, I've got this sucks. Yeah, that's yes, right. Right. Yes, fine. Now. Then that is okay, screwed. The minute that that thought comes in, uh, and finally, I'm happy when. I'm happy when I'm surrounded by my family and my friends, and everyone is happy and healthy, and I think that really, and preferably in the sun. I like being in the sun. I'm happy when I'm in the sun with my friends and my family and everyone's happy and healthy. And I really truly think nothing else matters. As long as everyone is happy and healthy, it really nothing else matters. Mm. And that is a fact. Nice. <laughs> Jason, I'm happy when? I'm happy um, when... No, well, no, I mean, it's exactly the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah. I honestly could have talked to you about so many other aspects of the documentary. Um, there's just so many touching, beautiful moments within it and, and heartbreaking moments. Um, but I want people to watch it. So just to let people know. So that's Jason and Clara in memory of Maudie, Thursday the 30th of March, 9pm on ITV. I hope, I hope the lead up to it isn't too distressing for you both in terms of like the apprehension and everything. It um, is what it is. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. It will. Thank you so much and thank you thank for you. coming on the podcast and giving me so much of your time. Like I said, I, I, I could have stretched for three hours and we could have had, you know, an extra therapy session. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. See you soon. Thank you. See you soon. Okay.